I'm Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. If you were told by your doctor that you had a small cancerous growth in your body, you would say, hey doc, let's remove it. Or would you say, well, you know, since it's small, I'm not going to worry about it right now. Absolutely not. You would not say such a crazy thing. Because you are fully aware that even though this cancerous growth is very, very small, it is extremely deadly and allowing it to grow will kill you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that exactly is what is happening with communism in America. Communism, Marxism, leftism, whatever you want to call it. People continue to ignore it. And as this cancer grows, it's only going to get worse unless we do something about it. I'm Christina Caramo, and now it's time for some solid food. And welcome to It's Solid Food, where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. This man, ladies and gentlemen, is Manning Johnson. Manning Johnson is a hero, an American hero, and a patriot. One of the most unsung heroes in American history. Most people have never heard of him. He was a former leader in Communist Party USA. Until after about 10 years, he got out because of the consternation he began to feel. Because one, communism conflicted with his Christian faith. And number two, he saw that the communists were simply using black people as their useful idiots to bring America under communist rule. They were exploiting legitimate problems and concerns that many black Americans were facing in early and mid 20th century and were simply using them to usher in communism by exploiting people's frustration. Now, really quickly, let me explain what a useful idiot if you are unaware. A useful idiot is a person that a term is commonly used when explaining the individuals who are the pushers or the faces of the communist movement, that they are really unaware of the full plan of what someone wants them to do, but they're high on emotion, low on information, and therefore the communists use them to do their bidding because they're a sympathetic face or voice or what have you to usher in their movement. That simply is what a useful idiot is, and that's what communists use all over the world to push their movement. But let me talk about this book really quick. And that's what we're going to be discussing this episode. It's called Color, Communism, and Common Sense. So what prompted this? Now, I had been seeing these videos of uh, Edward Griffin, G. Edward Griffin, talking about Manning Johnston and talking about how black people were being used by communists in America. Now, someone else had recommended this book. I picked it up and folks, while reading this book, I had to stop and take deep breaths and just digest what I had read because this is like the playbook of what we are seeing unfolding in our nation today for actually quite some time, which really has been exacerbated worse since the death of George Floyd. Now, I'm going to go through this book and you're going to really appreciate it. So I hope that you share this episode with friends and family members because it's really going to tie some things together that we've observed, but we really couldn't explain. And it's also going to help people grab a copy of this book and start investigating more about how communists were infiltrating America, how we've been brainwashed to downplay the rise of communism in America 
Think about it like this. When I was in high school, we learned about McCarthyism. We learned that this senator, McCarthy, was paranoid about how communists were trying to take over America. And it was used to, we would learn about it as he was just crazy, he was over-exaggerating. Even George Clooney, whose parents were communists, by the way, made a movie about McCarthyism. And everyone tried to convince us that we're crazy. Until now, we're seeing the fruit of the communist tree the fruit bear now in our public square from social justice movements and, and to the point where the word justice has a dirty connotation to it. it. It should not. God is just. Justice is a good thing. But what happened is Marxists have co-opted the concept of justice for their own nefarious motives. So anyway, I'm going to go through this book and he is going to, I'm going to point to some really startling things. And I just felt I had to share this with everyone in the audience. couple things to keep in mind. Number one, this book was written in 1958. So some of the way he sees certain things, I may see them slightly different because we live in a different time. I'm living in 2020. He's talking about 1958. So a lot of his experiences were somewhat different from mine, will lead him to different conclusions. Also, you have to remember the word red. When he uses the word red, he's talking about communists. Okay, now I feel this book really shows what the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement is about. A lot of teachers unions um, and, a, and, and even discussing how a lot of black conservatives are labeled as, as coons and Uncle Tom. He gets into that. People who don't buy into the progressive movement are instantly labeled all kinds of things. If you're black, you're a coon. If you're white, you're a white supremacist. You know, the communists have been doing this since 1928. So this is nothing new. This is nothing new. And I really feel that you all should just take a listen. So let me jump right into it. So one of the reasons why the left takes so much pain to focus on our differences is because they want to cause um, they want to focus on the differences and, and say that these are disparages and inequalities in society. And however, you notice most of the times when they point out any kind of difference, somehow they find a way to attack capitalism. Like I've seen so many signs in the Black Lives Matter protests complaining complain about capitalism. What does capitalism have to do with police brutality? Absolutely nothing. So Johnson points out, all racial and class differences and conflicts would end forever after the liquidation of capitalists, their government, and their supporters. Now, he talks about how he got into capitalism. So there, as we are know, you have to be either ignorant or just dishonest to not understand how racism, chattel slavery, Jim Crow played into the formation of the racial conflict that we see even still to this day. Okay, we, that's very obvious. And also, you can understand how even more so during when Manning Johnson was alive. And he, at the time, he this book was written in 1958. And he appeared to be from the picture, as you can see, in his 50s. So growing up, he said, I, you know, I saw so many things. I saw black people beat and experience all types of injustice and mistreatment. And he was just looking for answers. And so the communists came and said, hey, we want to help you guys. And so... They really played on that and they and they sought to exploit any differences. I was told that the de decadent capitalist system is responsible that mass pressure could force concession and that just and, and that just prolongs the life of capitalism. That I must unite and work with all those who more or less agree that capitalism must go. 
Little did I realize until I was deeply enmeshed in the red conspiracy that just and seeming grievances are exploited to transform idealism into a cold and ruthless weapon against a capitalist system. That this is the end toward which all communist efforts among Negroes are directed. Let me read that one more time. Again, that just and seeming grievances are exploited to transform idealism and into cold and ruthless weapon against a capitalist system that this, that this is the end toward which all the communist efforts among Negroes are directed. So again, what they did is they took real legitimate, honest problems that black people were experiencing and then they turn around and totally exploit them and say, well, the answer is cap the problem is capitalism. 1619 Project is a perfect example of that. And so many people are so ignorant when people complain about it. Oh, you guys just want to downplay the role racism played in the, in the black psyche and how it impacted black people. Shut up. Just shut up. Because in the 1619 Project, one of the things they claim is that slavery is responsible for capitalism in America. That is the absolute dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Capitalism is a natural condition of man. It's very natural for me. If I have a product, a good, a service, whatever, and I sell it to you, that is the means, that's capitalism right there. And I keep all of the proceeds or the profit after I paid maybe the, the my workers or whomever, or simply just kept the proceeds myself, whatever the case may be. That is simple. That's capitalism. People have been doing that. For thousands of years, for thousands of years, that's how commerce has worked. I sell you a good, provide you a service, you give the money to me, and I keep it. That's it. No me giving it to the government to redistribute to everybody. But according to the 1619 Project, it was because of slavery that we have capitalism in America. That's why President Trump is coming against it. But you won't hear that on CNN because they're all in, they're all, they're all into it. Just let me stay on topic. Nevertheless, another thing that Manny Jansen points out is their absolute contempt for Christianity, okay? And what they did was they were luring well-meaning black people. And that's the thing you have to understand. They don't say everything they want to do. They're not going to say, we want to subjugate everybody. We want to have absolute government control. We want to control what you think, what you say, what you can and cannot do. We want to ensure that no one ever has any more than another person. If they said something like that, people are going to go, oh, wow. You know, but no, what they did is they go again to the black communities and, and this started in 1928. So remember, so they would go into black communities where a lot of black folks were really suffering or experienced racial violence. And they say, hey, we want to help you guys. And people are like, OK, well, let's see what they're talking about. They may actually want to help. Negative. And he goes on to say the experience of those years in outer darkness are like a horrible nightmare. I saw communism in all its naked cruelty, ruthlessness and utter contempt of Christian attributes and passions. And two, I saw the low value placed on human life. See, for communists, it's all about the party. If you get in the way, or simply if your death is beneficial, you must go. He continues, the lack of respect for the dignity of man, the betrayal of trust, the terror of the secret police, and the bloody hand of the assassin. During this instance, those faithful years when I embraced communists. And he goes on to say, front organizations set up by the communists to trap naive, 
unwary, unsuspecting, and idealistic Negroes. That's why the communists typically charge target college students. They target college students because they want to get these idealistic young people and these leaders to get on their side. And that's something people need to be painfully aware of. And if you read Karl Marx's book, Communist Manifesto, which I discussed in my uh, episode, Communist Malfeasance, they want to do away with Christianity. So again, these people are talking about they're Christian and communists or Christian and Marxist. They are either painfully ignorant or painfully deceptive. One of the two. He goes on to say that they care, they pretend to care about racial harmony and fighting racism, when in reality, many of the communists had the same racist attitudes that they claimed to be fighting against. So their care and concern for racism was really a front. That's why you see in the Democratic Party and the political left what they call the racism of low expectations. They will say the most racist things, like Joe Biden said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Or when he said poor kids are just as smart as white kids. You know, that kind of attitude that they have or that black people somehow need a white beneficiary to hold their hand through life in order to make it like we don't possess the capacity to function on our own. Again, he talks about that. So they had the same racist attitudes that a lot that they claim to be fighting against, but they just concealed them that way they could get friendships with black people in order to use black folks as their useful idiots. He says, on this, commi on, on this commission, which was created on direct orders from Moscow to facilitate the subversion of the Negroes, I began to realize the full implications of how the Negro is used as a political dupe by the Kremlin hierarchy. Under the guise of the unity of black and in the in, excuse me black and white in the struggle, several top white communists such as James S. Allen, Elizabeth Lawson, and the late Robert Bob Miner and George Blake Charney were placed on the National Negro Commission. These white communists wielded more power than the nominal Negro heads of communism in a world where they were like white overseers. And what's interesting is that they would talk about how black folks would go on trips to Moscow and different things like that. And, and just a quick side note, a notation I made in the margin of the book, Bernie Sanders went on his honeymoon in Moscow. So, you know, people were ready to elect a president who was, who's like a friend of Russia. And the whole, the left, about Russia, 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 it's all a front. Why do you think the U.S. had tension with Russia? One of the reasons why we had tensions with the USSR because they were trying to throw over the American government and set up a, a, a communist regime who had allegiance to the Kremlin. That was the problem. Anyway, not to get too far off into that. He goes on to say, um, and, and, and so you have to keep in mind some of the things too. As I mentioned, this book was written in 1958. So some of the lingo he uses is slightly different, but you can see that the concepts are still the same. Notice how anytime a black person questions anything that leftists say and show any type of disagreement, a, a conservative like myself, I'm considered of sympathizing with the oppressor, using language of the oppressor. Anytime, even if the person isn't a conservative per se, even if they just point some things out like, well, wait a minute, what about this, this, and this? Oh, you're using the language of the oppressor. You, you subscribe to the oppressor's worldview. You know, these are just talking points to discredit people. It is simply an attempt to gaslight black folks. Johnson points out, um, excuse me. Usually the Negro who is broken is accused of petty bourgeois nationalism. That is placing the interests of the Negro above the interests of the communist party. And, and that's the thing. 
So anytime a black person showed any care or allegiance to the United States of America, he was mocked. You sympathize with your oppressors. You really? Like, you know, you should see how many times on 4th of July, black people I know have to just go through all this. I don't celebrate the 4th of July. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, they go through all this stuff. But little do they know this whole idea of having disdain for your nation is really to bring you in servitude into another system who doesn't give a crap about you. Stop. He goes on to talk about one of the most interesting phenomenons you notice within a lot of the black power movements. Now, I remember... And I noticed that you would see these guys that, and, and one of the funniest things ever, you ever notice how a lot of black liberals will sit there and lamb blast about how terrible white people are, white people, whiteness, and then their romantic partner will be white. Has anybody ever noticed that? It is the most ridiculous thing in the world. And I'm thinking to myself like, okay, you say white people are so terrible, but yet the person you're sleeping with is white. Please explain that to me. Folks, that was a communist trick. Did you know that? Now, of course, I don't have any issue with interracial relationships. My my philosophy is, at least for myself, as long as you're Christian, and that's really, I have a good job, that's all I care about. So that's not the point that Manning Johnson is making, but he's pointing out to the fact what communists would do, you have to understand, especially in early 20th century America, it was totally forbidden for someone to be involved, especially a black man, to be involved sexually with a white woman, whether through marriage, it didn't matter. It would get him killed. I mean, you heard cases of a white woman saying he looked at me funny and the guy would get lynched and killed and all this kind of stuff like Emmett Till. I mean, he was a kid and was accused of whistling at a white woman and would get him killed. So what the communists do, they basically had a, it was a version of the honey trap. So what they would do was they would get a white woman and have her be, she was like a prostitute or whatever, or maybe she just worked for the Communist Party. And then they would have her get into a sexual relationship with one of the black leaders and use it as a form of blackmail. And they would serve as blackmail in two ways. Number one, it could get him killed. So if he did anything that didn't, um, if he didn't fall in line with the Communist Party lines, the Communist Party tricks, then they would out him and he could get himself killed. Or it would cause disfavor amongst uh, black the black community where it's like, well, wait a minute, you're supposed to be fighting for us and you're sleeping with a white lady. And, and we we told you, we, we thought whitey was the devil, you know, and, and it just doesn't make any sense. And it was funny is this, if you guys ever seen the movie, I'm going to get you sucker. It's like a, oh, it's like a parody movie. And if you ever think of like, like Martin DeWayne Brothers, like this is one of like the first parodies they made. And this came out in the 80s, I believe the late 80s, early 90s. And they were like poking fun at the fact that these revolutionaries who would just go, white people are evil, white men are the devil. And it's like, but yet you're sleeping with a white person. Please explain that to me. It just, it didn't add up. It didn't add up. And that was that, <laughs> that whole phenomenon, if you will, was really started with the Communist Party USA. Moving right along, Johnson went on to discuss and slam the NAACP. Now, you know, I used to think that the NAACP, and I'm learning so much more. I'm reading so much more books about people who had different perceptions during the civil rights era. Because people like Manning Johnson, again, his his perceptions, it's, it's something new I never considered. But he did not agree with forced integration. And the last operative word is forced. Manning Johnson's philosophy was that it should be a natural progression, that we should work for civility and harmony in society, but we shouldn't compel people to interact with one another because it just causes friction, which that is a very, that's a valid perception. I just, I just never thought about it because when we were in school, we were taught that integration was a good thing. It's not that he was against integration. He was against 
forced integration because he felt that just led to conflict that integration should just be a natural thing that if people work together and live together in the same state and society or community that they just learn to get along and mine is we're not talking about racial violence or racial terrorism that's that's not what he's talking about of course you need civil rights legislation if you have people like assaulting hanging lynching people killing people or you have you know bands of people banding together burning down towns that's that's not what he's talking about he's just talking about forcing people to um interact with one another so anyways he talked about the and, and that comes into the NAACP because his thing was the NAACP was simply a communist front. And, and he said that because the NAACP pretended to care about the well-being of black people, but they really didn't. And, and that they never really cared about free enterprise in the black community, that they only cared about pushing a narrative that black people were oppressed. And that any attempts to encourage free enterprise in the black community they never support it. Just look at the feud of W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington. Look at their legacies. Booker T. Washington created Tuskegee University and Tuskegee, Alabama. And the thing about Tuskegee University, it still has a legacy of black excellence far more than NAACP has ever done. I mean, I think of a little cousin of mine who went there, and I know several other people who went there or their family members have went there, and these people all graduate ready into good jobs like they are really disciplined about how they train this young people how they how they train them to be excellent in everything that they do how to prepare them for the workforce and they do exceptionally well okay Tuskegee is an HBCU so Booker T Washington's philosophy was that we should focus on improving the Negro as an individual that is the way you improve society that's how you pull the black man out of poverty is by preparing him to compete on a global level W.E.B. Du Bois was more focused on social activism, activism because he was a communist. So he was more concerned at forcing or making white people like us, whatever that's supposed to mean. Booker T. Washington, I mean, he's like, who likes me, who likes me, who don't, doesn't. I mean, I'm not concerned with that as long as you're not physically assaulting me. Of course, physical assault is a separate thing. So remember, we have to separate between physical assault and then people just not liking me. Booker T. Washington, of course, no one wants the physical assault because if you assaulted me, that's a separate problem. He wasn't concerned more with you liking me and me being accepted into society as a whole. He was more concerned with improving the well-being of the black person. He said and he felt that necessarily that, that would improve all other relations with other people groups because we have a habit in America of seeing everything in this dichotomy of black white. There's like tons of other ethnic groups like black people. We're actually a small. There's less black. The big the biggest minority group, if you will, is actually Latino Americans. That's the largest minority group. So and there's like, I mean, a, a significant more of them than black people. Most folks don't even know that. But yeah, not that many of us. We're only 13 percent of the population. But 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 they had the comments had a reason for pushing the black white dichotomy. Because naturally they wanted to integrate all other groups inside of that umbrella. That's why you hear people say gay is the new black or so-and-so is being treated like black people. Because, and, and especially in America, especially at the time this book was written, black people were the lowest class. Okay? So, and also notice how, speaking of the, like the Black Lives Matter, if you're talking about front groups, they claim to care about black people. And they claim that they started to fight police brutality, but then they want to get rid of the nuclear family. Like, what does that have to do with anything? Again, these groups are front. And an interesting story, too, my mother, um, she, when she first graduated from college, she was told, once you go down to the local NAACP chapter to help you find a job. 
And she was like, okay. And she went down there and they were like, yeah, yeah, we're going to help you. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're this, this, and this. She's like, okay, great. And she's like, they never reach out to me. She found, I forgot how she found her job, but she's like, okay, like, what are y'all supposed to do? I thought y'all were for the advancement of color people. Really, the NAACP has no concern with the free enterprise of black, free enterprise of black people. They just care. They're just a Marxist front. And I thought they just became recently like that. But come to find out after reading Johnson's words, they've always been like that. And I'll get into it in more detail uh, shortly. And what's interesting is, what's really, really interesting is, is that he's say, he, he, let me read this really quick. He's talking about uh, subverting Negro churches. And that was a communist tactic, how to interfere black churches. And if you notice nowadays, the black churches, a lot of pastors are nothing more than democratic shields. They don't even advocate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They literally just preach social justice. And I've shared on the show before, I grew up in a liberation theology church, which liberation theology is a friend of Marxism, which is counter to Christianity, but whatever. They focus on Jesus coming to liberate us from our oppressors. When the only oppressor Jesus came to liberate us from was our sinful nature and the damnation of hell, not other people. Anyway, he goes on to say, created doubt, Lack of confidence, suspicion, setting up situations that bring about racial bitterness. And that was what he was talking about, that that, that the um, communists wanted racial conflict. That was one thing they really, really wanted racial conflict. And I'll get into that in a minute. So they also would they also worked to incite racist white people because they wanted they wanted racial conflict because the communists understood that the easiest thing to the easiest sort of pick in America, if you want strife, is racial strife. That's such that's such that's it, that's our easy sort of pick here. Anyway, he went on to say violence and conflict, putting forth demands so unrealistic that race relations worsen. So when you see, and that's perfect when people talk about like reparations. Because all white people must pay. You benefit from a white supremacist system. And then you have a white person like, well, wait a minute. I didn't do anything, okay? I, I'm sorry for what other white people did, but I didn't do nothing. So then necessarily that's going to create bitterness in the heart of white people. And they're going to say, you know what? Forget these Negroes. We're not, we're not, we don't want nothing to do with y'all. You know, and that's what the communists want. So they want, they want an army of black people to ask and push for these absolutely unrealistic demands, demonize white people as a whole in order to create racial strife and bitterness. And, and notice that when people use the term like white privilege, like white privilege, white privilege, say that to a poor white person who has nothing. Say that to the white kid who grew up in foster care. How do you think they're going to feel? They, they're pissed. They're like, you going to tell me I'm privileged, but yet I didn't eat last night. You're going to tell me I'm privileged? I don't even know who the heck my mother is. You know, so they, they say that stuff. We know there's poor and suffering white people. So that totally discounts their suffering. And, and they told, well, you white, you can figure it out. They're like, shoot, I, I don't know where to begin. You know, I've been homeless since I was 14. Or it don't have to be that even that extreme. It's just, just poverty, right? You know, poverty knows no color. But then he also pointed out attacking everybody in disagreement as reactionaries. Fascists, notice, answer for their anti-fascists. And, and remember the guy who was killed in Portland after they killed him. They're like, we just killed a fascist. He just was a Trump supporter. Then he goes on to say, ready for this, guys? Ku Kluxers. So the communists, even in the 40s and 30s, anybody, any white person who simply disagreed with communism and was exposing what they were doing were called Ku Kluxers. Ku Klux Klan. 
So basically any white person who calls out the communists, calls out what their agenda is, they're a white supremacist. Hmm, doesn't that sound remotely familiar? So that whole idea, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna finish the sentence. Among whites, so again, if you're a white person, attacking everybody in disagreement as reactionaries, fascists, Ku Kluxers among whites. So if you're a white person and you don't bow down to Black Lives Matter, you're a reactionary, fascist, or a Ku Kluxer, or a white supremacist, we just say. And Uncle Tom's amongst Negroes constitute the red pattern of operation. Wow, how many black people have been called an Uncle Tom, a coon, or something else, or a self-hating nigga? I've been called that tons of times, right? Again, folks, the communists have been... Book written in 58. 58. They've been doing this for years. And we're just catching up to the game. Like I said, Manny Johnson is a, is, a, is a true patriot. He goes on to call out Negro intellectuals. Ooh, look at those guys on the screen. Look at those guys on the screen. <laughs> he goes on to say, the same cannot be said of many Negro intellectuals carrying the ball for communists. That the communists have always looked upon Negro intellectuals as shallow superficial phrase mongers michael eric dyson name came to my head as soon as i said that he is just a rhyming preacher does absolutely good nothing good but he is just a great orator that's about it and incompetence looking for a loaf when they on the basis of ability are not worthy of a crumb their pro-communist behavior behaves becomes all the more tragic only after the order came from Moscow in 1934 to 1935 period to win over the Negro intellectual by deceptive flattery and adulation did the red public attitude toward them change. The criminal concluded that these superficial phonies could serve the cause of communism. So notice how every time there's some type of quote-unquote racist incident, you got the same characters. Now it's Ben Crump, you're seeing him, where this him or Al Sharpton or all these guys, they out there running their mouths, they're just frontmen. And, and see, what you have to understand is that they were so happy. They were so happy. And I don't know if I'm going to get to this right now in the book because he gets into it later, but a lot of black people suffer from an inferiority complex. Let me be real, real about that. Notice when the Oscars, like four years ago, when they had that whole Oscars so white, how come they don't acknowledge black excellence? And I'm like, what is your deal? Like, if I walk into a place and none of the white people there were friendly to me, I wouldn't care. Like Michelle Obama, they don't see me. What does that even mean? What do you mean white people don't see you? How do you define that? How do you quantify that? Can you explain what that even means? And so the communists were really aware of that. So you have people like that. Because it's like this, just from a human perspective, humans don't want to be rejected by other humans. That's something humans just forget race, class, gender, any other category. Women, humans just don't like rejection. And so many black people feel like we were rejected by society as whole as a whole. And so they were very happy when a white person came and said, oh, we care about you. We don't want to harm you. We want to stop what's happening. When in reality, not all, all, of course, but oftentimes communists will play on that, not of sincerity, but to simply exploit that reality to get black people to do their bidding. Hence, people like W.E.B. Du Bois. Just saying. Moving right along. Moving right along. So the Marxists would bribe ministers. They in common believe that beating the racial drums is a shortcut to prominence, money, and realization of personal ambitions. Even if the Negro masks are left prostrate and bleeding, expendables in the mass scramble for power. 
Now, folks, that is so interesting because notice how all, during George Floyd's funeral, he had four funerals. Four funerals. Four. Well, all the people got up to speak. Ben Crump did most of the talking in the first funeral than the family. He didn't know that, man. If George Floyd would have all been on the street, Ben Crump wouldn't have gave a crap. He just showed up to make his money. Notice also, too, like Reverend Jesse Jackson, Reverend so-and-so. They simply use the title reverend for prominence. They simply use the title reverend to get credibility and acceptance. They don't care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all a front, people. It's all a front. Just saying. So the Marxists, they will bribe Negro ministers for their benefit. This book is excellent, by the way, if you haven't gathered so already. And another thing the Marxists... Found was that trying to get black people to reject Jesus was really hard. So what they attempted to do was rebrand Jesus. Okay, notice how people try to push the message that Jesus was poor. He was just poor, and Jesus wasn't poor. He was a carpenter. What makes you think he was poor? And then on top of it, when he was born, he got frankincense, gold, and myrrh as gift. What do you think they did with it? Put it in the shrine? No, he had his own carpenter's business. He wasn't poor. There's nothing in scripture to give us to think that Jesus was poor. Okay, but he goes on to say the new line went like this. Jesus, the carpenter, was a worker of like the communists. He was against the money changers, the capitalists, the exploiters. No, he were against people using God's temple for their own greedy purposes. He was not against capitalism, free enterprise. That wasn't the problem at all. Even in scripture, I think it's in Second Thessalonians where Paul tells the, the early church to work and depend on nobody. The only church wasn't communist. And also in Acts, when people talk about, I think it might be Acts 2 or 3, when all the, the early church, how people like pulled all their resources together and sold their stuff and distributed the money amongst their needs. That was not the federal government making them do that. The Holy Spirit prompted them to do that to start the early church. Not that working and keeping what you earned is somehow sinful. However, God does command us to care for the poor and destitute, but that is not the same as the federal government coming in and taking money. That is my own heart turning to God, caring about my fellow man like myself and caring about his condition. That's not the same thing as the federal government trying to control me. Let's not get it twisted. And also he talks about how the church, the comments understood that the church was the best cover for illegal work. And again, that's why these guys so reverend and pastor and you got all these like these leftist evangelicals and all these, these people are frauds. They simply do that because it gives credibility. It gives it gives credibility. It gives credibility. Okay. So moving right along, white guilt. Have you ever noticed how a lot of white liberals get engaged in self-flagellation? How they want to sit there and they want to pay a penance for their whiteness. That their whiteness is somehow the greatest moral sin. That they must atone for their whiteness. Fall at the, at the at the altar of Black Lives Matter. I mean, I saw videos. I've seen videos of some of these like these street clowns. I don't know what's going on. Where white people are kissing their shoes, kissing their shoes, their shoes, and it's grand foot washing. And it's like this. It's like this. I've participated in foot washing ceremonies, but they are to show humility amongst my brother, not a penance. I'm not going to sit here and ask my white friends to wash my feet. That is absolutely insane. That is insane. But we'll get to that. It goes on to say, <laughs> stirring up race and class conflict is the base of all discussion of the Communist Party's work in the South. The evil genius Stalin 
and other megalomaniac leaders in Moscow ordered the use of all racial, economic, and social difference, differences, no matter how small or insignificant, to start local fires of discontent, conflict, and revolt. So, man versus woman, black versus white, gay versus straight, immigrant versus native born, Christian versus non-Christian. The communists want to exploit any difference. See, the thing about America is even though we have all these differences, what makes us work are two things. Our constitution, for a long time at least, our general adherence to, Christian, to Christianity or Judeo-Christian principles. That's what holds us together. It's the idea of America. It's our constitution. The idea is what hurled us together. Communists, on the other hand, want to exploit that. And that's where they use the white guilt. Because you would see, like, you would get white people going on about whiteness and whiteness. And I'm thinking to myself, like, but you're white. But see, they detach themselves from their white identity, quote unquote. And they no longer subscribe or no longer are guilty because they've paid the penance for being white by fighting the whiteness that which they have benefited from. And they're extending their whiteness to help their fellow black brother and sister. Like, I remember once this guy did, like, some street interviews, and it was a couple. And the husband, well, the husband was white and the wife was black. And he said, I put my hand on my wife to extend my privilege to her. It was just the craziest thing I ever heard of. But that is the thing. So so I remember, like, in G. Edward Griffin, he was talking about that's the way it worked. And so, again, black people were just... Again, we're just the spearhead. We're just the beginning part. We're just being used to usher in other groups. Where like, like gay is the new black. And if you fought against racism, you have to fight against homophobia. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Not wanting to be lynched, not wanting to be discriminated against and mistreated is not the same as teaching kids that it's okay to have sex with the same sex. How do we mix the two? Again. Everybody wants to co-opt co the black struggle, all right? <laughs> Again, communist, communist tactic, folks. Communist tactic. He goes on to say, the plot to use the Negroes as a spearhead or as expendables was, con was concocted by Stalin in 1928. Nearly 10 years after the formation of the World Organization of, the communist, of Communism, prior to this time, the periodic Moscow gatherings did little more than pass resolutions. Any credit for the change belongs to the man in the main to a handful of Negro lick spittles. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but it's hilarious. Like James W. Ford, Harry Haywood, Otto Hall, Lovett, Fort Whiteman, and Otto Hoistwood, to mention a few. They were the ones who again and again begged their masters in Moscow to force white leaders in the Communist Party of the United States to organize and use the Negroes. They were the ones who got in on the ground floor of the conspiracy. They were the ones that history may well record as the political Uncle Toms, who plotted with the diabolical alien power and moral decay, physical slavery, and spiritual death of their own race. And I have noticed that. I've had liberals say stuff to me, well, the black community, they tend to be very homophobic. Excuse me? Again, they feel like because they're liberals that, and they, and they, they love the Negro. We just do. So you should do what we liberals say because we love the Negro. And he talks about like the spiritual death and the moral decay. Look, think of abortion. Think of abortion. You have Negroes sitting here. I've been reading this book a lot, so now I'm using the word Negro, right? You have folks sitting here 
saying that, oh, the only reason why there's a pro-life movement because white people are worried about their population numbers. Fool, you need to worry about your population numbers because you're the one that in many cities more black children are aborted than born. In some instances across America, one third, there's a, there's a, a, for every three live births or no, for every three pregnancies, one results in an abortion. We are literally being exterminated through the abortion mills. And these folks sit up here and back these crazy politicians who advocate for abortion, who sit here and say the pro-life movement is just white men trying to control women's bodies. Excuse me, all white men trying to control women's bodies. That is just dumb. But they sit there and inject race unnecessarily to give both black people to sign up for their own slaughter. It is crazy. It is crazy. And again, for all, not just black people, but this book he specifically was talking about how black people are being exploited by communists. But again, it's marketed to everybody. Because, because he talks about in the book how you have lots of people of other ethnic groups who just jump on in the communist cause thinking they're fighting racial oppression. Because they want to make it seem like racism is the biggest existential threat to America that there is. In order to fight the biggest existential threat, you must jump on the communist bandwagon. So necessarily, you're going to get tons of people from other ethnicities who jump on as well. You see what I mean? Again, black people are just being used as fronts for the foolishness. And I'm going to move on. And what's really interesting to me is, you know, I'm going to read this quick and I'm going to make another point. He says, white leftists, oh boy, Manning Johnson, the first black man to call out white leftists. <laughs> he wasn't, but I'm just laughing because he got this book where he's like berating leftists and liberals, the whole book. And it is absolutely hilarious. He goes on to say, white leftists descended on, uh, descended on Negro communities like locusts. Posing as friends, and he puts that in quotation marks, come to help liberate their black brothers. Along with these white communist missionaries came the Negro political Uncle Tom's. So he reversed and said, no, nah, y'all the Uncle Tom's. <laughs> to ally the Negro distrust and fears of these strangers. Everything was interracial and interracialism artificially created. And that's the thing. Again, he wasn't saying that integration was a bad thing, but he was saying that what happened is the communists will purposely create racially tense situations for their own benefit. They weren't really concerned with Americans getting along with one another. Again, artificially created, cleverly devised as a camouflage to the red plot to use the Negro. And, and Malcolm X talked about that. I mean, it's several videos where him complaining about how white liberals basically are using black people. It's, it's one video I have of him talking how they are not interested in supporting free enterprise in the black community, which is really the best way to improve the quality of black people. He's like, black people's concerns should not be whether white people, again, whatever, what does that mean? Like, people are individuals. Like, how do you any rate, he said our concern should be whether somebody likes us. Again, as long as no one is phys causing physical harm to you, that's your only concern. As long as someone isn't causing physical harm to you, whether or not someone likes you, it shouldn't be a concern. He said the concern should be to build up the black community, to build schools, to build communities, build good housing, good sanitation. That should be our focus, not sitting here trying to get people to like us. And, and that was what Manning Johnson's thing was. And then who likes us, likes us, who don't, don't. I mean, that's just it. Um, any anyway, rate, going along, uh, going along, that, that 
Manny Johnson talked about how they play into the black inferiority complex. And I, and I talked about that earlier because I don't like Black History Month. I can't stand it because the whole premise of Black History Month is let's just rehearse how evil white people are and how oppressed black people are. Like, that's literally the premise of it. I'm sorry because anytime they talk about black people who made accomplishments, they first black man to do this. Why not just a great American scientist? As though because he's black is somehow impeded on his ability to do. No, you know, he talks about in the book, you think of somebody like, um, God, I'm, I don't know why I'm drawing a, a blank. Um, um, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. The scientist who works for Tuskegee Institute who uh, taught all the various uses of peanuts. I forgot his name just escaped my brain, but I don't know how, but, um, um, he talked about how he was a slave, didn't learn how to read till he was like 23 and became this wonderful scientist. You know, it, it's just, you can do anything. And that's what he was trying to get. And the groups like the NAACP want to push inferiority. And like these liberals, they want to push inferiority in the mind of black people. I will never forget, as I mentioned in, in like the last episode, I fell on hard times at some point in my life. And I remember I had no car for two years. And it was a very hard experience, but I learned a lot. And I'll never forget was a young black man sitting on the bus with me. And he said something like, you know, the white man won't let us have nothing. And I sat back and I am just as perplexed. I'm like, what? Where did you know that foolishness? But then again, that had been put in his head to make him a useful idiot for the Marxist revolution. Because again, if you understand the free enterprise liberates any and everybody, you're not concerned with who likes you and who doesn't. And then you don't have... This feeling, it's like this. Are there racist people? The racist people are, because I don't agree with the definition that racism is prejudice plus power. I, I don't agree with that, but neither here nor there. There are racist people, yes. But your average white person, let's say you just have a foaming white supremacist. They are not concerned with your black behind, okay? Most people, racist or not, or whoever, are too busy trying to figure out how to get their own life together to be concerned with you. All right, cut it out. But they want to put that notion in the minds of black people in order to control and manipulate us and get us to be useful idiots for the Democratic Party. How do you think that like 95 or 94 percent of black people all vote Democratic? That is by design. By design. Anyways, you have to. And then also um, another thing that he talks about. Oh, he, he mentions this here. Uh, he talked. Well, I'm gonna move on, but he just was really talking about how a lot of black artists and that inferiority complex. Now I talked about that earlier, like Michelle Obama and the white people don't see us stuff. I mean, it's just like, what are you talking about? It was just it was a carefully designed inferiority complex. Marxists and communists wanted in black people in order to have us swallow their garbage. Um, he goes on to say, and he gave this really good example of how a lot of liberal groups, and, and this is a point perfect example. Why are liberals so against school choice? If you're going to say that black people are so in, the, in such a destitute situation, because one of the things uh, the CEO of Wells Fargo, I believe it was, everybody got mad at him because he said that people are saying they want my div more diversity. He said, but we don't have a large enough black talent pool. Well, actually, I totally agree with that. I mean, I teach. I, I teach. I teach. I, I see all kinds of stuff, right? I teach right in Detroit. And I see how many students are so behind. And that's one of the reasons why we advocate school choice, because they're trapped in these failing public schools who have become nothing more than Marxist pool. They literally are concerned with indoctrinating the kids instead of actually educating the kids. So when we talk about school choice, why are they so against it? Because, again, they don't want black people to better themselves. 
And and one of the things, Manny Johnson said, and I will say this, he was talking about a, a Harlem hospital, right? Somebody, and this was like in the 1940s. There was a hospital in Harlem that was really in bad shape. And and so a, a group of wealthy black people were like, we're going to get together and just build a hospital ourselves and make sure that people are getting the proper treatment. The Marxist bunch Negroes, they didn't want any parts of that because they said you're encouraging segregation. And see, that's the thing people fail to understand. Whether you're dealing with people like uh, uh, Malcolm X or you're dealing with people like Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington, he was, they were not separatists. They were simply saying that we should just build up our own community. That's it. And not look to anybody else to do it. That is not looking to be a segregationist. That is just simply saying build your community up. Okay, if you don't like the school in your community, I don't care if I have a multi-ethnic community. The same would be true. Let's say we had a multi-ethnic community with same proportions of people of all different ethnicities living together. If we didn't like the hospital in our community, let's build another one. If you don't like the school in our community, let's build another one. That's all Gary's trying to say. He says, they saw in such project a chance to render a great service to the people. And he was talking about the wealthy uh, black people who wanted to just like, let's build our own hospital since the one that the government is supplying is in bad shape and, and it's like crowded and giving people improper care. He said, they saw in such a project a chance to render a render great service to the people in the community and to show to the nation and to the world an example of Negro resourcefulness. Jews, Catholics, Presbyterians, and others founded hospitals, so why not Negroes? The communists were not interested in a Negro hospital founded by Negroes. And that's the thing. So when black people say, well, let's build communities. I mean, you look at the early 20th century where black people were living under, in many communities, living under the threat of racial violence. They built very resourceful and beautiful communities because, and, 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 and Johnson's farewell speech, many people speculate he was killed, some say he wasn't, but he was talking about how there were prosperous, beautiful black communities that were very well manicured, lovely, had beautiful schools and things like that. And so you had wealthy black people who were like, well, we're just going to keep this pattern going and just build up nice communities all over America to solve the poverty problem and solve disparities. And then naturally, it, along the way of just improving, the race relation thing will work itself out. Again, as long as we're not talking about racial violence. Communists did not want that because they want black people poor and destitute so we depended on the government so they could control and manipulate us. He's talking about it very plainly here. Again, the communists were not interested in a Negro hospital founded by Negroes. And redounding to their credit, such a project would take away the key issue of racial agitation and radicalization and isolate the rest. So they acted swiftly and decisively through their Negro intellectual tools in the community to kill the project of borning, just like school choice. And, and it's hilarious to me, and me and a lot of my conservative friends, we laugh. We like, we call it the Coons. We call it the Uncle Times. And we say, okay, if you don't like something in your community, run for office, fix it yourself. So instead, get whitey is the, the real answer and not fixing your community yourself. That's the wrong answer. And I'm a Coon, Uncle Tom, race trader, whatever. And he, he gives many, many explanations uh, of this. And <laughs> he wrote, he, he, I, I'll move on because I'm, the clock, again, is, is so ridiculous. It's so aggravating because I'm up against this clock and there's so much more to say. He went on to say um, that the Reds, again, he talked about they only want a conflict and animosity. That, and, that, and I've discussed that at length, how they only want um, animosity. Even the term ghettos. Well, this is really interesting that I didn't know. That notice how black communities are referred to ghettos. He's like, why is that term only designated for black communities as ghettos? It's because... 
they wanted black people to dislike living amongst other black people. That's crazy, right? They wanted that. And he pointed out, this, and, and again, America, and this is where I say, Manny Johnson lived in a slightly different world than we, we do now. But now we move about, you know, we'll go to other towns, the communities, enjoy the, the like Mexican town or Chinatown or Little Italy or whatever, wherever state you live in, you'll have these respective cities or Little Saigon or whatever you have. You'll go and enjoy the ethnic flair and see it as beautiful. And and but for a long time, people typically lived amongst themselves. We we live in a different world now. But that was it's it's a difference. Again, it's it's different between I'm just living in a community amongst my people than I don't like these people. Those those are two two different things you have to understand. But the, even the term ghetto, he points out according to Encyclopedia Encyclopedia. Uh, Britannica said, ghetto formerly the street or quarter of a city in which Jews were compelled to live enclosed by walls and gates which were locked each night. The term is now used loosely to allocate to any locality in a city or country where Jews congregate. So he's saying that, so when Negroes band together and live in a section, it has a negative connotation. And that was the communist way because they did not want black people to band together and live and improve their lives. They wanted to go and use black people and they wanted black people to stay in a destitute and a subservient state so they could just simply use us. Hmm. Interesting, right? And so he was just, again, as I mentioned earlier, that black people are totally capable as in anybody else. And that was what he was saying. The communists through propaganda have sold a number of Negro intellectuals the idea that Negro sections is a ghetto that white Americans created to set its geographic boundaries, that it is the product of race hate and the inhumanity of white Americans. So he was saying that they wanted black people to feel like the whole idea of black people living in communities together was a product of racism. When that's just, he said, people just naturally tend to do that. Because if you see it, even now, we have a lot of immigrants coming into America. And you'll see a, a little areas like in, in Minneapolis, they have what they call like little Mogadishu, which you have a lot of Somalians live together. So that's something people will typically do is even if you forget race for a minute, if I go to another country and I hear someone speaking English that clearly has an American accent, I'm gonna be like, oh, hey, how you doing? I'm an American too. You know, people tend to do that. Or if I'm somewhere and it's a bunch of Christians, I'm gonna walk over like, oh, I'm a Christian too. That's something people do because people like familiarity. And he's saying that black people doing that should not be seen as segregation. And then he pointed to oftentimes black people did go and congregate. They chose to congregate amongst themselves. It wasn't that white people put a wall around us. And that is not necessarily a bad thing. If people choose to congregate amongst themselves or to intermingle, again, his point is if people choose to congregate amongst themselves or choose to intermingle, it should not be forced. It should be a natural occurrence. But again, for the communists, they wanted to force people to interact with each other looking for tension and <clears throat> he goes on to say read listen to this very quickly and he also said moreover excuse me naturally those holding such a views have no community pride no interest in doing anything to improve its services because this would be aiding and abetting segregation and maintaining of the ghetto moreover they oppose any race project Inside or outside the Negro section for the same reason. Everything has to be integrated or it's taboo. In this way, they paralyze Negro initiative and resourcefulness, casting the race in the mold of one that is incapable of producing anything for the advancement of society. So he's saying not just Negro society, but society as a whole. That you are painting this picture that black people are incapable of coming together and producing something that benefits America as a whole. He goes on to say, at the same time, it creates the impression among other racial groups 
Because oftentimes we talk about white people, white people, when I've heard racist comments from non-whites and non-blacks about black people, other ethnic groups, all the time. I mean, I've heard of there are some Mexican gangs who go and purposely target a black person to beat up for their initiation, okay? Anyway, the impression among other racial groups that the Negro waits for them to prepare the banquet so that he can step and enjoy it. So they purposely want, and I'm going to devote the last few minutes to this, because the comments purposely want to incite racist white people and other ethnic races and other ethnic groups to dislike black people as an entitled bunch. He goes on to say, obviously this line deliberately spread by the comments leads to the worst kind of mischief. It strengthens the areas of racial prejudice. So the communists want racial prejudice um, and lays the bias for sharp racial conflicts. Shirking social responsibility and blaming others may be the easy way, but it's the only shortcut to communist slavery. So they want other races to look down on black people so they can so it can create racial tension, racial frustration. They want it to create prejudice. They want prejudice because that is what's going to lead conflict. And one of the things that uh, G. Edward Griffin pointed out is how communists see communists understood that they wanted to get large swabs of black people to join their movement. So what they wanted enough to do is they wanted enough black people to go out and target white people. He said specifically what they wanted was for these communists to go and shoot white kids playing outside to incite racist white people to just to go and attack black people as a whole. And then when they just go and attack black people as a whole, then the other black people in the community who weren't interested in the communist cause say, well, wait a minute, we need to pick up arms and fight back because they're coming up to our community to kill us. And then you got chaos. Then you got chaos. And that was a communist ploy. Because notice, even in these cases where there's police brutality, which ones get the march and the protest? The people where the cases are sketchy and they're criminals. Why is it only criminals? You thought Botham Jean. He wasn't a criminal. There was no march from Botham Jean. There was no march for Antonia Jefferson. These people, these were black people who were unfairly killed by police officers. There was no march, no protest for them. It's only people involved in crime where the details can be a little bit muddled. And the reason why that is they do that on purpose because they want to incite racist people. They want to incite negativity. They want to incite conflict. So they want to get a small group of black people who are their useful idiots to go and commit and engage in all types of hostile activities towards white people. White people are evil. White people are the devil and, and amp them up. Like people have talked about this group called the Boogaloo. I don't know who they are. Apparently people say they're a white supremacist group. For all I don't know, they could be a Marxist front group. Or they could really be what they what people say they are. But see, the goal is to get a few Marxist Negroes, incite some racist white people, to get them to go attack random black people. Then the random black people who want nothing to do with it are under attack. So then they rise up and then you get random white people who didn't want any part of that. And then they rise up and everybody's fighting each other. Now... 1958, this is written about. G. Edward Griffin gave his talk and he referenced Manning in 1969. And so you can see what Black Lives Matter now. And then, but, but then the kicker is it all, they get white people and Hispanics and Asians involved and you've seen videos of a group of white people surrounding another white person hollering out Black Lives Matter. It's just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. And I'm gonna have to break up this discussion into two parts. In a two parts, we're going to pick up on Monday talking about the origins of the Uncle Tom insult. And, and I hate to have to stop here. I wish I could make this in a two-hour episode, but I can't. I'm going to keep it one hour. 
And I just want you guys to remember, our best weapon against communists is unity and free enterprise. Remember that. Unity and free enterprise are our best weapons against communists. And even more important is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, unity and free enterprise, they don't stand a chance against us. The United States of America. As Manny Johnson pointed out, we all may be different fingers, but together we're one American fist. All right, guys. So thank you for listening to it. Solid Food. You can check me out on all major podcast platforms, uh, YouTube and Facebook at the Christina Caramo Project. Remember, listen to Solid Food Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. You can check out my website, ChristinaCaramo.com. Instagram, Caramo the Great. That's Caramo the G-R and the number eight. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told.